0: Well good afternoon, good, welcome uh, to Redemption Gateway. If it's your first time here, my name's Josh, and I am the uh, student pastor uh, here, and so I get to hang out wonderfully. It is a privilege to hang out with uh, our 6th sixth, sixth grade through 12th grade, uh, and a little bit of 5th grade, I guess, uh, happens too, but, but mostly 6th grade through 12th grade, and it's my honor uh, to hang out with them. So we're going to pretend like tonight's Wednesday night. It's like 6.45-ish, you know, you're all here, you're part of students. That's also a recruiting ploy, you know, if you want to come hang out. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, unless you want to. Uh, so anyway, um, but nonetheless, uh, a little bit about me. I have two kids. Uh, they are five and three, and they are two little girls, and they're pretty awesome. Uh, but as, uh, as parents know, uh, parenting is difficult, and children don't listen. And so, um, you know, and they're not too different than adults either. Uh, God says listen a lot in this chapter, uh, or in these two chapters, and seems like people don't. Uh, But, you know, we all experience this idea of our kids not listening. The other morning I was, uh, got breakfast ready for the girls. They like strawberries and they like bacon, you know, and I was like, I just need to win this morning. Leave me alone. Eat the strawberries, eat the bacon, And then that's good. Well, it was such a good breakfast that they love to play with each other uh, and goof around at the dinner or at breakfast table. And my three-year-old can actually like, she like tries to get herself to be funny. And me and her sister are pretty easy marks. We just laugh whenever. Um, And so her sister was laughing because she was trying to burp and she kept burping and burping, and she thought she was being funny. And I was like, hey, you probably shouldn't do that. You know, like we kind of get how this goes. Don't do that, that might lead to something else. Hey, wait, you might, and she just kept doing it, and I'm getting ready, dressing, and I can hear it from upstairs. And well, you know, next thing you know it, like you just hear it, and you're all shaking your head. And you're like, ah! And then, so I'm like beeline downstairs, grab the plate, and then like this bacon comes back out, you know? And, uh, and you just wanna ask the question, I did ask the question foolishly knowing I'm not gonna get an answer. Uh, why would you do that, right? Why did you do that, why did you do that? Not only did I tell you not to do that, you wasted bacon, you know, right? Like that kind of idea. And you wasted a good breakfast. And now we don't have time to feed you anymore. Gotta go. You know, like this idea. And, and sometimes we find ourselves in these different messes, whether it's messes we've created or messes uh, that we find ourselves in. And Israel is this nation that has made a mess. And they are in this spot. And they have not listened to God. And they are now in exile. And they are kind of receiving the due punishment of their uh, sin. And here they are. And they're in this moment probably thinking like why is this happening and not often do we necessarily get a ton of like why is this happening to me we've all been in those moments where we're like God, why? God, why? What's going on? And we kind of, we understand that, and we don't necessarily always get it, but we, we start to then realize I've got to lean on something more, like I've got to lean on God's faithfulness. And I think in this text that, that we read just now, and in the, the fullness of this text, we start to see that God actually answers the question of why. Last week, Seth talked to us about that God is the God who does all things, that there is nothing outside of his sovereign control, and he's the God who makes light and darkness. He does all these things, and you're like, well, why? What, what's his end game? And his ultimate motivation would be his glory. As he says in verse 11, my glory, I will not give to another. I'm going to do it for my name's sake. And so this morning, I want us to see this uh, one idea is that God's unwavering commitment to his glory is the sure foundation that our faith can rest on. And so I want to pray for God's help uh, to, to work through this together and uh, speak to us. So pray with me. Father, I thank you for all you've given. I thank you for how you love us. I thank you that you're patient. I thank you that you're kind. But I also thank you, Lord, that you are more committed um, to being you um, than we realize. And that you are faithful. You're eternal. And so, God, may we see that in all of that, you're not going to give up on your people. So, Lord, we love you. Help us to see you in the text. Pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, So we're in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 40 through 55 is the chapters that we're specifically in. And it's this one poem that God is sharing with his people who are in exile. And he's basically trying to say at the very beginning, he says, comfort, comfort. He wants to comfort his people. Who have been taken away into exile and so he's comforting them with this poem and the question will be is well how does comfort come and i think comfort starts to come in this text partly because we see god addressing their sin but then also what's he going to do about it and that starts to unfold that plan starts to unfold even more as we get into 48 and 49 of isaiah and so the first thing i want us to see today is that god's ultimate motivation is his glory take a look at your bibles with me and look in verse one says this, hear this, O house of Jacob, who are called by the name of Israel and who came from the waters of Judah, who swear by the name of the Lord and confess the God of Israel, but not in truth or right. Isaiah jumps right out the gates in in chapter 48 and all of a sudden he's like, you call yourselves Israel, the people of God, yet you actually don't do it. In truth or right, you forfeited that. By your actions and by your ways, you actually like, don't act like the people of God. He's like, you might call yourself that, but that's not really who you are. You've shown yourself to be something else. And he continues to go on, and there's this conversation as you go from verses three to verses eight about the former things and the new things. And all I'll really say about that, if you look at verse three, he says, The former things I declared of old, they went out from my mouth and I announced them. Then suddenly I did them and they came to pass. Here's what God's saying. He's like, I told you about, right, Egypt. And I told you about the Exodus, and I told you this was going to happen, and I'm the one who actually did all the work to make it happen. Right? He says, I told you it was going to happen, and I did it. Right? And he does that throughout Israel's history. And he's saying, I'm doing it. And if you notice in verse 5, he says, I declared them to you so that you can say, right, like, or so that you can't say that your idols are the ones who did it. God's saying, like, no, I'm going to get the credit for the salvation that I brought about. God's ultimate motivation is his glory. And then he continues on and he kind of talks to Israel and he really puts down uh, essentially kind of uh, basically what he's seen in them. And he says in verse 4, he says, Because I know that you're obstinate and your neck is an iron sinew. Which just means like, you know, the tendons in your neck are are iron. So you're not going to bow in submission. You're prideful. And he says to them, your your forehead is brass. Brass. And so it's like, well, I would speak to you and I'm declaring truths to you, but but your forehead is brass. So like you're not getting uh, my truth through your head. We get this, humans. We, you know, maybe not other people or not us, but other people don't really You know kind of get what we're saying and so you know there's this idea that that they're not listening to God they're prideful and then God in verse 8 at the very end of verse 8 he says for I knew that you would surely deal treacherously and that from before birth you were called a rebel like God is essentially declaring what he sees in them and that they're a rebellious prideful heart you're like shoot you thought you were God's people you've actually forfeited that right you're prideful And you almost expect in this text, like very next text, you would expect because we as people who have all failed, we as people who have all been face to face with our own sin, we as people who have all at some point had to wrestle with that we are not who we thought we were, you would expect judgment coming. Like the very next verse, you would expect maybe that God might say, and so I hope you like it in Babylon because that's where you're going to stay. You know, the other day uh, I drove to work on Tuesday and Monday night, if you remember, I think it was Monday, uh, but Monday night there was like lots of storms. And if you're new to Arizona, uh, you know, we don't really do well with all of this rain and whatnot. Uh, and, and so uh, anyway, like my backyard's a mess, things are toppling over, stuff's, you know, like got little rivers in between houses and on the streets. But then I woke up on Tuesday and... Uh, Drove to work, and as I'm coming around, you know, trying to look past some of the warehouses as I drive down Pecos, you know, I'm like, hmm, just into the clearing, there's this beautiful view of something I did not expect. And it seemed like from top to bottom, the Superstition Mountains, were covered in snow. Four peaks, will never look taller. I felt like, where the heck am I? Am I in the midst of the Rockies? You know what I mean? Like, I just was like, wow, that is unexpected. The glory of God on display in the midst of just a wonderful early March snowing. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> I don't know. It's crazy. I it's crazy to see that. It was just very unexpected this week. And ev- all week long, like everywhere I drove, I was always like turning my head like, can I still see the snow? You know? Because I know it's not going to stick around. I'm like, ah, can I see it? Everyone I'm driving, I'm almost getting in accidents. You know? Not even texting and driving. You know? I'm just like, look it trying to look at the mountains. And that's what I feel like verses 9 through 12 have been for me this week. I keep trying to turn and look, get another glimpse at the God who just unexpectedly always shows up with words that I was not expecting. I keep trying to look more and more at verses 9 through 11 and just say, God, keep showing me your grace. Keep showing me how it is to your glory that you are gracious towards people like me. So let's look at verse 9. Right? We would expect God to say, for my name's sake, I actually am going to judge you. Instead, what does he say? For my name's sake, I defer my anger. He says to Israel. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you. And then he says, for the purpose that I may not cut you off. I'm going to defer my anger. I'm going to restrain my wrath so that I might not cut you off. That I might welcome you in to my loving embrace. That I might be able to pour out grace upon you. I'm going to do it for my praise. I'm going to do it for my glory. And then he says, behold, I've refined you, not as silver. I've tried you in the furnace of affliction. And then notice verse 11, for my own sake. Then again, for my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? That just means how should my name be treated irreverently or disrespected? God's not going to let his name be disrespected. You might say, well, what does that mean? Like, how would people profane the name of God? Right, what, is that, what, what does that have to do? The name of God, what's bound up in God's character of what God has declared about who he is. Uh, we're not in class, you know, for like the next two hours. So we won't look at all the different passages, but I'm gonna tell you one passage that I think you could go read and just reflect on this week would be in Exodus 33 and 34. Moses is, is leading the people out. They're out of Egypt and Moses gets to the top of the mountain and he's talking with God. And what does he ask God? He says, "God, show me." your glory. He wants to know God. He wants to know who, what is, who's God about? Like, what is he about? What's he bound up in his character? Who would he say he is? I think this is a good question for all of us sitting in the room, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. Who does God say he is in Holy Scripture revealed out? Because that is who he is promised to be. And so I'm going to read it for you so I don't get it wrong. It's not going to be on the screen. Came out too late. All right, so here you go. Verse six. The Lord passed before Moses, and he proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Who is God? Who does he say he is? And who will he continue to be who has maybe Israel forgotten that he was? He is the God who is merciful. He is the God who is gracious. He's the God who's slow to anger. He's the God who's going to bear with. He's the God who's going to forgive iniquity. And so when he says, for my name's sake, for my glory, I'm going to act according to my character. For him to defer his wrath and to bring in sinners and pour out grace, he's acting out of his glorious nature. He says, I'm going to act in accordance with my nature. And it's good news of grace for people like you and me. He says, I'm going to be who I'm going to be. You look at verse 12, even in Isaiah 48. He's like, listen to me. In Israel, whom I call, he says, I'm he. I'm the first. I'm the last. This eternal God who is unchanging. He is unwaveringly committed to his glory. And the amazing thing is that's good news for us. Because he says he's a merciful God. He's abounding in steadfast love. Uh, this week, this passage kind of, or this, not this passage, I was reading uh, Ray Ortland's commentary on Isaiah, and it, it seemed to hit me pretty, pretty hard. Uh, and so I just wanted to share it with you, because uh, I think maybe there's some folks who, like me, needed to hear it. He says, if you are in Christ, whatever God is doing in your life right now is not an experiment that he might abandon if he gets fed up with you. You need to know that God would have to stop being God before he'd quit on you. And why is God devoted to you? It's not because you risk looking like a failure. You already do. So do I. It's because God will never let his purpose fail. The defeat of grace to sinners would be the defeat of God. The message of God to us all is this. For my own sake, for my own sake, I love failures and fools and spiritual nitwits. For how could my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. God's commitment to God is his assurance to us. And maybe this week you've met yourself or you've come face to face with your own sin. Maybe this week you've had to see other people's sin. Maybe it's been in your marriage or in parenting or work or life in general. Life gets messy. And we all probably have had those feelings of, ah man, maybe God is fed up with me. This might be the last straw. And then Isaiah 48, 9 through 11 comes in and God says, my glory I'm not going to give to another. The another in this is, is Israel, you know, it's like, could Israel outsin God, his grace? You know, like, could they do something that would then have him cut off? God's answer is no. And, and then, like, the other another could be like Babylon. Are their idols stronger than Yahweh? Right? Like, if they're stuck in exile and they can't get out, like, oh, man, maybe their idols are better than Yahweh. God's like, Nope. My glory I won't give to another. I'm going to execute this salvation, and I'm going to make it happen. For my glory, for my praise, and for your good. And the second uh, thing I want you to see is that God's servant, right? We get the second servant song in chapter 49. God's servant will be what Israel could not be. And so take a look in your Bibles with me at verse 1 in chapter 49. He says, listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. So now Isaiah, uh, the Lord, is talking to all of us, not just Israel. He's now saying to the coastlands, people from afar, you and me. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me a polished arrow in his quiver. He hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel. Israel. In whom I will be glorified. In Isaiah 40 through 55, there's four servant songs that, that we've seen one, this is another one, and then there'll be a couple more that maybe are a little more popular to people. But, but they're declaring, like, who is this person? What is he going to be like who executes God's salvation and who actually does what Israel could not do? That Israel's failed, as it said in verse 40, or chapter 48, verse 1. Israel did not live up to their name. They forfeited the right to their name. And now God is saying, guess what? I've got somebody. I'm going to send him for a specific purpose at a specific time. And he is going to do what Israel could not do. By yet, I'm actually going to name him Israel. So that you would see that in Christ, he is going to live the life that Israel could not. Israel trying to live out their mission of being a light to the Gentiles, of trying to be a blessing to the nations. They failed in that. But God has not failed. God has not given up. And he's going to execute salvation through his son Jesus. And we talk a lot, rightly so, about Christ dying on behalf of our sin or dying in our place. But we also need to remember, as he says here in verse 4 or verse 3, he says, you are my servant Israel in whom I will be glorified. Right? That, That Jesus honored the Father with his fullness of obedience. That he lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. That he upheld the glory of God and the righteousness of God through obeying the Father completely. That where we have all failed, he did not. And once again, this is good news to you and me. Because it's not about your performance. It's about God's glory. And God will be glorified. And he's going to be glorified by sending his son to die in the place of sinners, to live the life they couldn't live, and to give them grace to all who put their faith in him. I want to read verses 5 and 6 for you and the kind of towards the end of the song. He says, And now the Lord says, He who formed me from the womb to be a servant and to bring, back, bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord and my God has become my strength. And then he says, It is too light a thing for the servant, right, that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. Uh, Let me tell you a little bit about our church, if you don't know. Um, I like working here a lot. Uh, I really enjoy it. But I really enjoy uh, meeting lots of you people. Uh, And I don't mean that in a bad way, like you people. Uh, You know, I just like meeting all of you. uh, And The second thing I really love is I love working on the staff. It's a great staff, and there's a ton of people who actually go, like, above and beyond uh, kind of the the call of duty, you know what I mean? Like, uh, so for a good example uh, of this would be, uh, I was a kid's pastor for a couple years, and one of the big things we do is kid's camp, and kid's camp's a lot of fun, ton of people pouring in, lots of help, uh, but, you know, kind of in... Uh, the beginning of the first kids camp that I was a part of—it was Mystery Island. Everybody, no, anybody, yeah. So Mystery Island. Uh, so, I, I, it's like this kind of islandy theme with like volcanoes and treasure hunts, and there was some pirate elements to it. You know, and, I mean, like, so one of the amazing people on staff is Jeremy, and I'm like, yo, maybe we just like put some pictures of pirate ships up and stuff like that. <laughs> and uh, Jeremy is a good example of what. Uh, Jeremy's a good example of what when God says, it is too light a thing. (laughs) Because I'm standing here like, hey, I think posters could be nice and, you know, things like that. And Jeremy's like, no way, dude. Uh, Let me just tell you, that's too light and we are going to go big and we're going to make like this whole, like what you don't know, if you don't know, like the whole back of the box and out the building was the pirate ship. Like actually, no, we're not going to do a picture. We're going to build a pirate ship that kids can run through and have a ton of fun. There was a mast on the roof, you know, like going out with their sail. It was (laughs) wild. And and that's why I love working here is there's so many people that are like that. They're like, no, that's too light. We're going to go big. This is for the Lord. I'm like, okay, that's good. And that's kind of how God is. And this is why it's so amazing to the glory of God, the kind of salvation he's going to execute through his servant is this. is like, hey, it's actually too light of a thing for me to just save Israel. Watch me work a little bit. I'm going to make my salvation extend to the ends of the earth so that every person in this room can find hope and salvation in the midst of their despair in Christ. There isn't this like, oh, well, you have to be this kind of person or that kind of person. It's like, no, like actually God is going to make his salvation extend to the ends of the earth and all the nations are going to be welcome in, not just this one. And so Israel or God is going to do or Jesus is going to do what Israel could not do. And it's just a pretty amazing thing to watch God work. But the one thing I want to challenge you with is this, is kind of like, When you think about it, like if the first part is God's grace to us and that he's not going to give up on us, this part would be God's power to save. And I think in the midst of despair and tough times, uh, we all would say we've been tempted to despair that God can actually do it. You know, sometimes hanging out with students, I'll be honest, every now and then you're like, oof. This could be tough work. You know, sometimes you as a parent, you might be like, oof, this is tough work. Maybe you've been trying to witness to a friend, share Christ with them. "Mm, This is difficult. And in the midst of that despair, when you're about to doubt that God actually can't do it, I want to submit to you Isaiah 49.5 or 49.6. And remember, the God who, uh, you know, says, it's too light a thing. I can do this. And rather than despairing in our inability or despairing in our kind of maybe difficulty of sharing or ministry or parenting or life, I want to push you towards putting your faith in the God who says, I'm going to make my salvation extend to the ends of the earth. I can do it. So, where in your life do you need to remember a little bit that God is powerful? He's powerful to save. The last thing I want to end with is this, is that you need God's word to have the last word. You need God's word to have the last word. Um, in the, both chapters, 48 and 49, uh, I, don't, I don't read Hebrew very well. Uh, I did take a Hebrew class once, uh, but Seth reads Hebrew pretty well, and uh, he let me know that uh, the word listen, it, it gets translated about 12 times in these two chapters. So thank you, Seth. All right. So, but it kind of brings out the point. I just want to show you. If you look at it, right, when you read it, verse 1 in chapter 48, he says, Hear this, O house of Jacob. Right? And then God's talking to them. And then in verse 12, he says, Listen to me, O Jacob. He's talking. And then in 49, he says it again, listen to me, O coastlands. And what is God doing? He's talking to his people and he's declaring all of this amazing grace. He's declaring what he's going to do through his servant. He then in verse, chapter 49, verse 8, he gets to the part of like, thus says the Lord. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And he goes and he says it and he declares all these amazing things. He's like, I'm going to answer you. I'm going to help you in this day of salvation. I'm going to tell prisoners to come out. I'm going to tell people in darkness to appear. I'm going to feed people along the way. Nobody's going to hunger and thirst in the midst of my kingdom. Like all these things. He's like saying all this stuff is going to happen. And then in verse 13 of 49, he says, tells all of the heavens and the earth, everybody involved. He says, sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on the afflicted. And you're like, God, what are you trying to say? Am I listening? Right? Like Israel, are you listening? God's trying to tell you something is happening. He declared former things to you. He's declaring new things to you. He's telling you about the coming salvation. And now he's going to execute it. Here's what he's saying. And then the question would be, is, is Israel listening? Are we listening? Read verse 14 with me. But Zion said, it's not a good but, you know. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. My Lord has forgotten me. God's declared all these things. And the one time Israel speaks, what do they say? God, you've forsaken me. God's forgotten me. Uh, I've had to apologize to my parents. uh, Well, my dad specifically. uh, In the last couple months, my parents just moved to town about a year ago. And uh, they live here. And so... Uh, you know, you start having kids and you start seeing yourself in your kids and you start seeing what you did and you're like, oh, I remember doing that when I was a kid. That must have been really annoying to my parents. (laughs) So so, uh, I had to apologize to my dad because when I was a kid, if I got in trouble, one of my go-to moves was to pout and then to tell my parents, uh, you don't love me. And I would storm out of the room, you know, kind of deal. Or like, you love my sister more than me. And like, let's be honest, Like, there's nothing that they did uh, to ever make that seem true. They never said that. They never showed that. Uh, but then of course, like six, seven months ago, I'm like, hey, Autumn, that's my oldest. Like, don't do that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Oh, dad, you don't love me. You're like, wait, what? Of course I do. You know, like, so I had to apologize to my dad uh, because I'm like, that was messed up, I'm sorry. <laughs> But you kind of like, this is kind of like, if, if Israel is like kind of always likened to God's child, like here's God declaring his amazing grace uh, that he is going to uphold his glory and that, right, Jesus is going to fulfill the righteous requirement of the law and that God's going to send him in to execute this worldwide salvation that anybody anywhere can put their faith in him to come to him, right? Like if that's the thing God's declaring to them and then all of a sudden they're like, God's forgotten me. He don't love me. And like a good parent, uh, God does not let them have the last word. He comes in with his word. Look at verse 15 right away. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Right? You know, like this image, like just analogy, like, hey, you think this lady who just had a kid Who's nursing is going to forget that she has a kid? Right? Probably not. And God says, even these may forget. Right? They're humans. Even they may forget. And then what does he say? Yet I will not forget you. And then in verse 16, he uses this imagery where people would have engraved, you know, their hands, right? To remember their gods. And then they would have had that displayed. And God takes that and he goes and he says, look, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. He says, your walls are continually before me. You just need to know this morning, right? That while you may feel in despair this morning, this afternoon, while you may feel in despair, while your feelings are right and okay, they don't necessarily always tell you the truth about God's love for you. It's the same thing I tell to Autumn after. It's like, hey, your feelings are okay. You can feel sad. You can feel bad. That's fine. But your feelings don't always tell you the truth about your dad's love for you. I love you no matter what. And here's God saying, behold, right? I could never forget you. And now we're on this side of the empty tomb. And we know that the risen Lord walks into a room where his scared disciples, who are doubting and in despair, they're standing there in this room. And what does he do? He holds out his hands and he says, Behold, look, touch. And in the same way, he says, Look at my love for you. But also, look at me upholding the glory of God and his righteousness. Look at how God has poured out his love upon his people. You can't help but think of the Lord in his nail-scarred hands as a testimony to saying, I'm not going to forget you. How could I forget you? So if you're tired, if you're weary, if you've battled sin this week, I just want to tell you that God loves you. That God is committed To his glory being upheld which is invariably tied to him loving sinners and pouring out grace on them let's pray father i thank you i pray that we would put our faith in you to be who you say you'll be to pour out grace to pour out mercy to be steadfast and faithful father help us to remember in the midst of our despair, that we need Your Word to have the last word. Pray that Your words of Scripture would come in; that they would shed light; that they would declare truth over us. I pray, Father, that we would experience Your presence. Thank you for Jesus, and it's in His name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Josh.